0: Welcome back, everybody, to the latest entertainment-based episode of The Back and Bone Show. Tiptoes. We watched it, so you don't have to. Bill Weiner, thanks for making a shit-filled masterpiece as your one and only IMDb credit. <laughs> uh, the romance. The lightning cracks in the background. the The rain. Sit back. Drink a hot chocolate. Maybe pour some whiskey in it. I know I would. But, uh, enjoy the show, everyone. You
1: shut up now. Big casa, I sue casa. Let come show Let the party begin! Your ears, you eat, and I'll tell you why. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At
0: no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Yeah,
1: well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Take this quarter. Go downtown and have a rap. Gnaw
0: that thing off your face. Good day to you, man.
1: I broke my back. Okay, fucking going. You know, I don't want to sound like a queer or nothing, but I'm really going to miss you guys when the show's over.
0: Yeah, I'm fucking sweating like a goddamn pig in here. It's like, and I noticed you're wearing that fucking beanie I hate. I, guess. <laughs> I, wore, I wore it. On, I'm
1: going to wear it every time now. It could if be I, ten years from now, and it'll be gray. Every like time I a see of color, you, I'm I'm taking a mental
0: tally. Every time I see you wear that beanie, I'm gonna punch you in the face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna get another. one. I'm gonna get ones that are like various shapes and sizes. I bet you, could,
0: you could you like could probably find squares, hundred different beanies and things that you think will bother me none of them will bother me the way this one does i don't know <laughs> what it is i just look at it and it fills me with rage i just,
1: just like to choke you in on it and just really so all you could see the whole time is that right up against it.
0: <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that would bother me as much i think i hate it more seeing your face underneath it i just look at you <laughs> Some of that smug look, enjoying that weird pattern on your forehead. I, I don't know.
1: I, I've been complimented, as I said before, I've been complimented on this beanie multiple times. Yeah, by assholes. Had, I had a barista at Starbucks said, hey, I like your beanie, man. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he was like, fills yeah, me a be- with a sense of sexual confusion. <laughs> and and <laughs> he, <inadequacy. laughs> he said, he laughed and he was like, I'm kind of a beanie kind of sewer." I was like, oh. Clearly, you have
0: good taste. I've never heard of a beanie connoisseur in my life. Maybe a beanie aficionado. I don't know, but uh, it kind
1: of sounds like a dinosaur. The beanie connoisseur. connoisseur. I don't know about all that. A con- uh,
0: connoisseur. connoisseur, connoisseur. That would be beanie a connoisseur. connoisseur. A beanie connoisseur. There we go. An anthropologist just uh, uncovered a beanie connoisseur.
1: <laughs> it does. Well, see,
0: investigating. <laughs> Being anthropologists a- don't dig up dinosaur bones though they they study people what is I've a an what is a dinosaur bone uh, that would be a paleontologist paleontologist there that's right. but an anthropologist could accidentally find some dinosaur bones while they're studying uh, like civilizations
1: I, think. I thought paleont i are you sure that's the uh technical term i thought they were called dino diggers <laughs>
0: I believe the the technical term is bone scoopers. Um, mm.
1: Bone yes. scoopers, ah, <laughs> yeah. bone scoopers. How could
0: I forget? Yeah, of course, bone scoopers. Um, mm. So, guys, today's episode is brought to you by the Oscar nominee, uh, <sighs> the performance of a lifetime, Gary Oldman, Matthew. Where do we begin? Peter Dinklage, a masterful performance
1: by Peter Dinklage. Describe, if you were forced to describe tiptoes in just a few words, three, five words or less, let's say. How do you describe tiptoes? What is tiptoes? Five words or less?
0: Please gouge my eyes out. That's how I would describe that movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think five uh, is too generous. That's far too many syllables to describe what (sighs) Tiptoes is. Because you could really sum it up with disaster, dumpster fire, awful, awful, horrible, crap, garbage. I mean, it is just quite simply one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's on par with The Room. Um, However, Ed
0: Wood himself, Ed Wood himself, could not have created a more disastrous mockery of cinema if he tried. um know, it, uh, it it was so like I I expected it to be to have some um, to have some redeeming qualities in the sense that it would be so outrageous, it would be so offensive that it would have these qualities of uh, originality to it. It did not. It was a very um, overplayed emotional story that was attempting to be very uh, serious and, but it also, it had, it had really oddly placed comedy. Like it didn't establish a rhythm.
1: No. Um, it, uh, tiptoes comes across to me like a movie suffering from a massive identity crisis. Mm-hmm it just doesn't come across like it has any i any sort of idea of what it is or what it even wants right. to be. Like,
0: what was the point from the beginning? It, it just seemed like
1: this movie was written straight through. Like, somebody was just like, here's an idea. It, it, does, it like, did seem as though, I felt as though the beginning of the movie had a slightly lighter tone. Like, maybe the first 15 to 20 minutes did have a slightly lighter tone.
0: Well, sure. Well, the first, the, the, the start of the movie, that's where it had most of its like comedic moments. It didn't really, it, it had, um, you know, they, they played off the, the two, the two dwarves riding their motorcycles, like in a fun way, they had the party and everything where Matthew McConaughey is hanging out with all the, uh, all the little people at the, the, the gala or whatever it was, the convention. Um, they had the um, they had the scene where they pick up they pick up Patricia Arquette and she's like a crazy,
1: you know, free loving hippie. Who Patricia Arquette? By the way, I know we've touched on this. We when we talked about this, she actually looks pretty good in this movie. She does. Patricia Arquette's an attractive woman. <laughs> Did you see that show that she was on recently? No, I haven't watched it. It's the uh, it's the one about those two convicts that are based on the true story, they escaped prison. It has a uh, Benicio del Toro and then can't remember the other kid's name. Um, she's in that. She does not. Well, she's does playing not, a character. Does not look doesn't as, look good, but yeah, no. let's just say she's seen better days.
0: Well, I, I felt like um, Patricia Arquette in this movie was a complete revisit of her character from uh, true, true romance. Man. She seemed like almost to carry the exact same personality. As that, that yeah, character it's character like they took a and they
1: sucked anything of any kind of value or relevant. Right. Or they just <laughs> drained right, it, right? Right. Well, it, it was all you were shed, left with. It was like an orange, and then you took that orange, and then you remove the fruit from the orange, and you're well, just, you just left had the. You just had the had the peel.
0: Just mm-hmm. um, yeah, they. It, it, it was like they. um they took that character who had uh, interesting lines, diverse character, had development, and um, they 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 like rationalized her by making her a hippie. They're like, she right. acts like this. She
1: has this personality because she's she, not this way because our writers are horrible and we don't know what movie we're making. She's this way because she's a hippie. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know- sorry, go ahead well there was just so many things like it's so it's such a this movie was hard to review in a sense that uh, it's just so overwhelmingly bad and there's you could just literally pick apart every single line of the movie and say why it just comes off as weird and poorly timed and well it it was it's a great example of just plain
0: bad movie making it just wasn't made well uh, yeah, from, even, the, from the from the visual effects of it, uh, the makeup, the 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 screenwriting, the plot. There's nothing about this movie that was done well. Even in a even in a, a uh, in an ironic sense, there's nothing to enjoy about it because it was it was such a firm attempt at being a serious a movie that's going to be taken seriously that it it came off pretentious, but with nothing to offer.
1: Yeah, it was so poorly made though uh, that you are left wondering you you almost would have to really try to make a movie that bad. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's so incoherent. There's just nothing adds up. Kate Beckinsale, first thing I noticed is this movie is clearly a product of, I think it came out in 2004, was it? Or 2002? I think it was
0: 2003.
1: Let me see. Three. I'm looking it up right now.
0: 2003. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was probably filmed in 2002. Very clearly a product of that time. Cause the first thing you see is Kate Beckinsale has a tramp stamp.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, and her, her, uh, her,
0: her skull and crossbones, uh, like pajama pants <laughs> she, uh, yeah you can
1: run smacking a hand gary oldman looks like a fucking quasimodo with his giant shoulder pads and he's clearly walking on his knees for those of you that don't know gary oldman is playing a, a dwarf and it's just such a feeble attempt at presenting a dwarf it was really, really bad. They gave him like football
0: shoulder pads. They gave him a, uh, they, they made like his head taller, but it, nothing looked real. It didn't look right. Like it, it didn't fit. It just looked
1: like Gary Oldman walking around on his knees wearing yeah, football pads. It, it, it didn't look dwarf like in any way. And he was like trying to use a high voice and a, yeah, he, and a oh, southern accent. Oh. It was very offensive. Extremely offensive. It's one of those movies where it's so bad that there's a lot of really respected actors in this movie. And it's so horrible that you actually question. You start to look down on them. You think less of them for having partaken in this. I want to talk about Peter Dinklage for a minute. Yes. I
0: I like Peter Dinklage. Uh He's a really good actor. Yeah? Just, yeah, like... Game of Thrones. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's like yeah. everyone's favorite character on Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he was. Uh, what was. What else was he on? He was on um, Elf. Elf. Oh. Yeah, I remember yeah, him in on that. that? Yeah, Days of Future Past. Yeah, Days of Future Past. He was great on that. Mm. Um, this was his French accent on this movie <laughs> was so insulting to my senses. It didn't just take me out of the movie. Yeah. Filled me with rage. <laughs> I couldn't. It, it
1: was. It was one of It, it was, was more
0: distracting a, than that fucking beanie that you're wearing. And I swear to God, <laughs> if I ever see you with that in person, I'm gonna rip it off your head and throw it in the a. The only fire. thing
1: that could have made that better is if Peter Dinklage did that French accent wearing this exact same beanie.
0: Oh man, I think I would have exploded. I think my, he, I literally. I would have started bleeding out of my
1: ears. His French accent. Like first of all, just to put it into context for you guys, because I know none of you are going to go and watch Tiptoes. Um, you fucking better not. If you do, we warned you. Peter Dinklage is the best friend, I guess, of of yeah. uh, or the roommate of Gary Oldman's character, and they're a pair of dwarves that are like drifters on motorcycles. They're just riding around, mm-hmm. and they pick up Patricia Arquette, and her and Peter Dinklage kind of have a thing, but yeah. <laughs> so. Here's the problem. Here's one of the issues with this movie. There's that scene where Peter Dinklage and Patricia Arquette are about to have sex. And uh, Gary Oldman is sleeping in the same room as them. And he's telling me, yeah, y'all better keep it down now. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, Peter Dinklage just starts writhing and screaming in pain. Right. Yeah, he like falls and, off you know, the bed and... Yeah, he falls off the bed and they don't give you any kind of context. You're just like, what the fuck is this? What's going on? And the only explanation you get from Gary Oldman is that he has little people pain or little person's pain. Yeah, he says uh, he's,
0: he's got ulcers, he's got he's got yeah bulging discs, it's little people problems. Little
1: people they just, problems. They
0: just glaze over that. They don't yeah. ever return to it, they don't make it like a thing about the health problems of they don't make that like a plot factor. They just throw that out there, like he's got little people problems. Yes. End of story.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's pretty um, much it. Um, so you kind of think that's going to mean something later on. It doesn't.
1: No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, and then there's that hilarious, which you pointed out the scene, and I put actually put this in my notes because it stood my out so much. Favorite part of the movie <laughs> where there's suddenly this movie that up until this point has tried to present itself as kind of like a goofy romantic comedy dramedy lighthearted lighthearted uh, type film there's a scene where the hotel manager they're making too much noise in the hotel they're staying in Gary Oldman and and uh Peter Dinklage and,
0: and it's also it's past checkout time past checkout
1: like time mm. so he's banging on the door trying to get him to come out so Patricia Arquette answers the door and then the camera pans over and there's Peter Dinklage standing on the side with a pistol in hand fully loaded Ready to shoot this guy, and it's like a scene. And the music gets really intense. It's like a legitimate scene out of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Right. It, they it just randomly yeah. inserted, and you're like, it, this isn't even the same movie. This doesn't fit in here
0: the, at all. The camera angle, the the insanity of the situation. It had like this this um, this side kind of forty five degree angle upwards on Peter Dinklage with his extended arm with the right. gun and him looking off into.
1: It's the you know, same you know, Freddie- frame. It's the same frame that they used in Godfather Two. there really yeah. there's a scene in yeah. Godfather Two that's identical. Where there's where, a dwarf with a handgun. <laughs> no uh, No, it was a Guido with a handgun, but not I know much I
0: different. know what scene you're talking about. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing it in my head. Yeah. yeah. Uh but uh yeah, and then so but then Riquette just starts beating the shit out of the uh the hotel manager for no reason. Yeah. Her,
0: her response, she's over here talking to him and her, her response to Peter Dinklage getting ready to um, murder someone <laughs> <laughs> like, ah! like, like, starts screaming and she just runs out and starts fucking swinging on this guy. Um, I wanted to point out, because this is important to me. I don't know if it's as important to you that what Peter Dinklage pulls out appears to be uh, like, it's, it's, a, it's like a revolver it has uh, it has characteristics that look like a magnum. Um, <laughs> it was a hot pot of guns. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah. the thing about it is, it was like miniaturized to fit a a dwarf hand. Like it, it was, it was the right size, but it was like a magnum dwarf edition.
1: Like, well, they couldn't have them. This was them trying to be. Uh, somewhat authentic they could sure. they couldn't have you believe that this dwarf could actually handle the sheer power that comes from the magnum magnum no uh, well, they could have got him like
0: like a twenty two or like a derringer or like a thirty eight snub no, like a small gun.
1: That we just give sense. him a little pea shot or let, something? But we're going to give him a really big gun that we shrank down <laughs> into dwarf size. Yet, yet another thing in this movie. No rhyme or reason. Doesn't make any kind we're of We're just going to do it. Boom. Um, you know, the thing, out of all the things that bothered me about this movie and threw it off the most tonally, would have to be the music. The music is one of the strangest things I've ever witnessed in my life. The music seemed
0: as um, uncoordinated and inconsistent as the plot of the movie itself. It had sort of like this, um, it had sort of like this cheery, goofy, family, romantic comedy vibe and then it sort of like shifted within the same, the same song. Right. shift into this like dark
1: kind of eerie-ish sort of... Like music you'd hear in like Basic Instinct or like yeah. sort of, like Crime Thriller. Yeah, it was very, um, very weird. It was like, it went
0: from like Beethoven, like the dog movie type music right. yeah. <laughs> to
1: um... and, and then they would have scenes that had no, there would be scenes where the music didn't match what was happening in the scene at right. all. Right, like, right. Where Matthew McConaughey, he's he plays a uh, Matthew McConaughey is a uh, who, by the way, might be the most unlikable character in cinematic history. He plays no, no, no. no. I disagree. Okay, no. <laughs> Gary Oldman is
0: the most unlikable character in the movie. He basically just plays a grumpy asshole to everyone the entire movie, and then he steals his fucking brother's child. And now.
1: We're get we're getting to uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that. That's so, towards the end now. Matthew McConaughey plays a uh, a firefighter junior academy like instructor. Mm-hmm. That's basically so, what he's doing. Matthew McConaughey, what I get from him is he's he's this um,
0: he's he's this character in transition. Like he's he's figuring shit out for himself, and he's getting ready to get married. He's got a super hot girlfriend, and <laughs> he doesn't want to. He he's want to very ashamed.
1: Up. Extremely ashamed of the fact that he comes from a family of dwarfs. Well,
0: I don't think it's that he's ashamed. I think the problem is that, you know, that he knows that he, he's he got dwarf genes. So if he knocks this girl up, baby's probably going to be a dwarf. So Matthew telling Conraday her that... He might is, well,
1: have dwarf genes as well because he's got some T-Rex arms on him. Got some short little arms. He sure does. Um, but, so I think
0: that's the whole thing. And, like, he's, he's, he, he, he he's affected by all that shit so but not to add any depth to this movie that doesn't exist don't get <laughs> wrong They're, they they um, really just like flatline all the emotion
1: they go like well so, let's be
0: angry let's be happy let's be
1: sad where, the scene where he calls his wife from he's teaching the kids at the camp and then oh, he calls yeah. kate beckinsale one night from there the they, haven't, they haven't seen each other in a few days. This is after um Adam yeah, told him that. They're she just kind of having like a regular husband and wife conversation. Yeah. It's not anything heavy. But the camera angle pans right in on Kate Beckinsale's mouth, so that's all you can see. And then Matthew McConaughey is shrouded in darkness and all you can see is like cold air permeating from his mouth as he so,
0: talks. I want to I want to say like at this point it's it's giving you this mysterious vibe like for both yeah. of them uh, either character i think particularly with kate beckinsale it yeah. looks like it's gonna pan out and like really she's gonna the man be mad with someone
1: else or something yeah and something, with mcconaughey something exposing and definitive yeah. if if this was a scene in another movie for mcconaughey this would be the scene that takes place right before he conspires to kill his wife right but none of this happens they only made it look like that for no apparent reason with no
0: explanation ever in the entire movie for what this, what was happening here or what this was, the, they agree, like they go, let's, uh, she's like, do you want to go to this party? Your, your brother invited me to, blah, blah. blah. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, I'll see you there. And then he hangs up the phone and this girl that you still can't even see her cause it's all shrouded in the darkness. You just see this girl walk out and he's like, Hey, you want to go to a party? <laughs> yeah For sure and he's at the boys fire academy like where did this chick yeah, come from yeah, he's still at the fire academy place they're all fully clothed too it's not like he's like they're suggesting he's fucking around with this girl no they are
1: suggesting that but they're just not doing a, a then he never even follows so he ends up bringing two girls to the party so keep in mind he has a fiance he's engaged and then he brings two of his academy students to the party and one of them is like a big-titted blonde chick yeah. and he introduces her really casually
0: yeah. and, and then and, you never see her yeah and 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 there's no conflict
1: brought up by this no, there's no... you would think because the idea all right here's where my mind was going he's bringing these girls to the party because he's upset with his wife and he wants to make her jealous by bringing these girls to the party or, or he wants to add some like conflict to their marriage because he wants out Right. Something along with lines. Or their future
0: marriage, because he wants out. Like, yeah. I'm Is thinking there's something
1: to, like that going on. You're trying to make sense of it. But then, we get to the actual scene. He shows up at the party. He's got the two girls with him. He introduces them. They walk along. The wife has just no reaction.
0: Yeah, um, she's just like, hi, nice to meet you. And then that's it for that. Yeah,
1: and then that's it. And it's like, and, and then, just,
0: and and Matthew McConaughey gets right back to being, you know, the fiance. He's hugging her and kissing her. And then they're just, yeah, just goes back to together, together again.
1: Yeah. I mean, this movie is chocked full of scenes like that, where it almost kind of seemed like. Empty moments, things that don't have moments. any relevance. It, it almost kind of seemed like they had an initial idea about what they wanted to do with the scene. But then they kind of just changed their mind halfway through and then right it
0: didn't to anything. right i absolutely agree that's exactly what this entire movie felt like was just scenes that didn't play out the way they intended so they just went let's just get through this scene and then we'll we'll figure out what we're going to do
1: next <laughs> yeah and so the party that they're at is thrown by i can't remember the name of the actor he's a uh, african-american gentleman
0: I, he's he's uh he's from i know what? I can't. I can't. He's one think of those things. guys.
1: He's been in like everything. No,
0: you you know him. If I can remember his name, uh, he's from *In Living Color*. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I know. Like, I know exactly who it is. Uh, uh, I
0: just can't I'm remember sure, name. I always want to say Gerald, Gerard, something like that. We, we'll think of it. But his
1: his his name in the movie. He's throwing this party for these dwarf characters, and his name in the movie is Jerry Robin Jr. Um, Gary Oldman's character has a very dysfunctional relationship with his also dwarf girlfriend who's played by Bridget the Midget who was a porn star who uh, frequented the Howard Stern show quite often I remember her um, and
0: everybody's so, trying to everybody's trying to fuck her on the whole on everybody the, wants yeah. to bang
1: her for some reason and uh, they go to this party that uh, Jerry Robin jr is throwing and <laughs> Gary Oldman walks in uh on Jerry Robin Jr. banging his girlfriend, Bridget the Midget, and he's like balls deep. Um so he's plowing her. Gary Oldman gets pissed and leaves the party. Just another random plot point that like no real resolution comes from it. Gary o- Gary Oldman just gets mad and leaves. And then the funniest part... Man, I wasn't even close. It's David Alan Greer. David Allen Greer, yes. The funniest part of that whole scene is Matthew McConaughey's reaction to it. Do you remember? He walks up and he talks. I can't remember what him and Gary Oldman say to each other, but they're brothers. And Gary Oldman's like, I'm going to take a cab home. Matthew McConaughey's like, no, nah, man, I'll give you a ride. And then he's oh, like, no. No, I'm going to take a cab. Matthew Mignone is like, no, man, we'll give you a ride. Like, he's acting like him just giving his brother a ride is, like, the most considerate thing you could possibly do. Right. Like any other world, any other normal brother-brother relationship, it wouldn't be like, no, I'll give you. It would be like, no, you're, uh, you're giving me a fucking ride. Like, yeah, that's pretty give a fucking ride, bro. <laughs> um, you know, you don't even really have to ask. And then right after that happens, Matthew McConaughey walks up and he says, man, that was pretty fucked up. It's like you <laughs> caught David Allen Greer balls deep in your brother's midget girlfriend, and all you have to say is, man, that was pretty fucked up, with a half-cocked smile on your face. Like, who? Oh, man. What? Yeah. Is th- wh- that's all that was going through my mind. Well, there,
0: there, like, there, yeah, things, things got a little wily. There was like some hijinks. but that's that's what i'd call david alan
1: greer banging your dwarf girlfriend at a big party um you know that wasn't even my favorite line of the movie i just remember my favorite line of this movie i don't know if you caught this one um it was where matthew mcconaughey was reminiscing about like his experiences with his dwarf family growing up and kate beckinsale says so you had a circle jerk with a bunch of little people how oh yeah. You? I remember. That. And she's like dead serious and then I he just kind of laughs
0: the, it off. I can't remember the conversation. I don't uh, remember either all I remember is her
1: saying so you had a circle jerk with a bunch of Lita people? I would have loved she's, to have seen that. <laughs> like what?
0: Yeah. What is going on? He's telling her something about like little, I can't remember what it was exactly but he's he's telling her oh she asked him uh have you ever so have you ever, you know, like messed around, gotten physical with uh, the dwarf? Yeah, that's dwarf. what it was.
1: That's what it was. And he's
0: all he's all no. I, I mean, you know, I grew up around him. So you know, we we did uh we did normal things, like, you know, like normal things like we I can't remember what he fuck how he puts it. He puts it like some way I'm like, that's not a normal thing, but like <laughs> No, nothing
1: about <laughs> McConaughey's character in this movie is yeah. normal. absolutely no, not. not.
0: Well, nothing about any character in this movie is normal or believable or there's no there's no reason why anyone acts any way that they do.
1: you know the like, more we talk about this movie, the more all of these just this gold mine of memories start flooding, me. <laughs> and I forgot how rich this movie was with stupidity. Oh uh, yeah, but I'm looking at my notes here. And there's one really funny one that I actually remember this making me laugh harder than anything in the movie. The scene where Matthew McConaughey and Kate are, uh, I think they were laying in bed. Um, and she suggests, do you remember when she suggests that he sees a shrink? No. Reaction to it. There's a scene where she suggests that he sees a shrink and this really dark, ominous music starts playing. And for like three minutes, McConaughey just looks at her and he's like, so you think I should say shrink? And then he turns he's like, and he starts shaking his head. He looks back at her and then he starts shaking his head again. It's like she just told him the worst thing you could ever tell somebody when all she did, it was like a perfectly reasonable suggestion. He grew up with a family of dwarfs. You're the only one who wasn't a dwarf. Clearly you have some underlying psychological issues. Maybe you ought to see a shrink. She didn't put it quite that articulately, but... Sure. Well, what could be articulate
0: his, in a movie like Tiptoes?
1: His reaction, he just like, just he's completely bewildered by this. He doesn't know how to take this. Sure. And it was just one of the strangest movie reactions I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I I had a really hard time. Getting through this movie, I missed a lot of. Uh, I missed a lot of moments because I. I would catch myself just glazing at the screen, just like not. My my brain was so anti tiptoes, that it would shut me off from reality for periods of time, and I have to wake myself up and be like, "Oh, I'm watching this movie for a reason." So let me pay attention.
1: You know, <laughs> oddly enough, it wasn't very hard for me to pay attention during this movie despite how bad it was just because it was kind of like like i said it kind of falls into that category of the room where it's so horribly bad you almost can't believe what you're seeing right and that's that was how i felt about it but
0: unlike the room it didn't have the redeeming qualities of being ironic
1: no well the room it's like the room without no charm yeah
0: there's there's no charm whatsoever in this movie so let's get to um Get to
1: the towards the end of the movie. Well, where, wait, wait, no, no, go, real quick. Okay, okay real did quick. You, another thing that irked me about this movie: Did you not find it odd just the lack of communication <laughs> in general? Like how the when main characters, Matthew, was, yeah, yeah oh. like so when Matthew McConaughey meets uh, Kate's family for the first time, does she not talk to her parents ever? She doesn't bother to inform them that his parents are dwarfs. Her parents just walk in, right. But, they had no clue that his parents were dwarfs. They're just like, what?
0: Yeah. They they tried but, to squeeze in that little cute joke. They're like, look, our only concern <laughs> yeah, is that we have a Jewish wedding.
1: And Kate's like, dad gets drunk and just is like, what a weird character that was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't find it off from any of the other characters. They were all fucking weird.
1: Didn't Peter Dinklage have dreadlocks at one point in the movie? For some reason, I put that in my notes. I put, what's the deal with Peter Dinklage randomly having dreadlocks?
0: I don't remember that. I think that might be from a part that I just kind of glazed out of my memory. But um, it seems right. Like somewhere deep in my subconscious, I, I have an image of Peter Dinklage with dreadlocks.
1: The sad may thing just is just be, combining... be one of the least outlandish things
0: about this movie. I may just be combining Patricia Arquette and Peter Dinklage. I think maybe Dinklage. like maybe her character gave him dreadlocks or something. I'm sure there's like a point where that happened. Um, but carrying on um, towards the end of the movie, uh, Matthew McConaughey becomes unreasonable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Because this movie gets very dark <laughs> towards the end. Let's just they- say that.
0: There's basically a montage scene of him being verbally aggressive towards the baby and...
1: Oh, and, it's uh, horrible. <laughs> he, okay. It's hilarious. He, they have this baby and he is clearly... Not having it. Not happy no. about any of this. Um, the baby's just
0: acting like a baby. Like it's the baby's just a being lot. a
1: baby. The baby's crying, number yeah. one. It's like... Have these people never been around children? Like, first of all, babies cry. That's what they do all the right. time. And uh, the baby's crying. And she's baby's like, crying. Baby's yeah, crying. Kate, Kate Beckinsale is like, he, he's crying. I don't know why he won't stop crying. I don't understand. And Matthew McConaughey is like, oh, he does is cry. Don't you understand? Say the word, Laura. And she's like, what do you mean? Say what word? He's like, just say the word. Say it once and she's like, "What are you talking about? What well, he is? He's a dwarf. <laughs> he's a dwarf. And he's just screaming. <laughs> Baby's crying. His wife is crying. <laughs> that he's was that... screaming. He's a dwarf.
0: Yeah, that was the best part. Is like honestly, that was my favorite line of the movie. That was the only part that made me laugh. Was how intense Matthew oh, McConaughey god. is getting. Going,
1: just say it. He's a dwarf. <laughs> he's a dwarf. Oh my god. Yeah. He like, And he this, goes this, by the time we get to this point McC- McConaughey had hints of being a creep leading up to this mm. by the end of this movie, he goes full creep like but this, he, is, this, this is this is the what they've been
0: movie. this is what they'd been preparing for for the entire movie is like they were just they they were hoping for the possibility that their kid would not be a dwarf, but they were expecting right. it to be the whole time and yeah. then it's a dwarf, and this is the, it's this huge problem now, like. This is
1: right. What you were signing up for the whole time. Not to mention, McConaughey grew up with dwarves. Like his character, if this was real life, he wouldn't have any problem with it being a yeah. dwarf because that's what his whole family yeah. is, and that's... he would know exactly what to do to calm the baby down. Right. That was his
0: whole. That was his whole fucking life was being raised around dwarves. So, um, so they of course split up and it's for some reason it's Matthew McConaughey's decision to leave right yeah he's um, got to go he's like it's like i just don't think it's right
1: it's not right <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like it's, it's not the right thing for for you or the baby so he takes off
1: cuz i hey. can't stop i can't stop <laughs> acting like a dick <laughs> i can't
0: like, stop being a fucking asshole to this baby <laughs> <laughs> so he takes off Kate Beckinsale Goes on her little spiritual journey out to the woods and ends up at this, uh, at this, uh, like log cabin that Peter Dinklage and, uh, Gary Oldman are staying at. Right. Um, they added in that, uh, they added in that Peter Dinklage and Patricia Arquette are having relationship problems for no reason. Completely substance free addition to the movie. Yeah. They're just having them fight and stuff. So, um, I didn't see any buildup to this whatsoever, but for some reason at the very end of the movie, uh, like all all that's happened so far is that she's staying with, uh, with Gary Oldman and them out in this log cabin out in the woods. And Matthew McConaughey comes back and she rejects him and he's like, all right, well, I'm sad now. And then he drives away and leaves. And it's
1: like one (laughs) of the oddest exchanges ever. Like McConaughey just shows up and literally just accepts (laughs) that his wife is now living with his dwarf brother out in the woods. Right. But the thing that, the thing that had no lead up
0: to me that I I wasn't expecting, or I, I was, I was completely expecting it because of how this movie was going, but it didn't actually present it in any way. Like they didn't build a relationship between these characters. She just, the end of the movie is she looks at Gary Oldman under the stars where she's holding the baby. She's like, you can kiss me if you want.
1: And then he kissed <laughs> He's <me>. like, okay. <laughs> you know, there there actually was some very subtle build up to this because I put it in my notes. Um, when when uh, when her and McConaughey get married, is it, in this really weird little scene. It's after the uh, wedding. She goes up to Gary Oldman and hugs him, and then she kisses him. She gives him a kiss. But it's not like a cute, like brother sister kiss where you just slap one on the cheek. She just leans down and kisses him right on the lips. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. And I could tell that that was their way of trying to like drop a hint, but they did it so poorly. Yeah, that it, it was just s- stupid.
0: Yeah, there was just little little things like little. They were showing a, a relationship build between them, but it wasn't like a there there was no romance or anything. There was nothing no. romantic about the way. That no they no romance,
1: no, uh, no, like definitely no chemistry. Yeah. I mean, just, and,
0: and of course, I mean, she couldn't handle that Matthew McConaughey was an asshole once things got rough, but Gary Oldman was an asshole to everyone, the whole everyone. movie. He was yeah. nonstop the biggest asshole in the movie. He's just, yelling at everyone talking shit to everybody not showing up to family events and stuff he was horrible. you
1: know know something to put this in context that i think will really blow your mind Hmm. uh, as far as gary oldman is concerned this only came out five years before the dark knight Mm -hmm. this guy was five years out from playing commissioner gordon that's true and like one of the most highly regarded movies ever and he's well, doing this fucking movie. Gary Oldman
0: has has such a a just freckled array of of uh, cinema works. Um, the things he's done, the characters he's played. In fact, going back to True Romance, as we just mentioned, do you remember him in that?
1: Oh yeah, he was. He, uh, was, the, he
0: was the pimp. He had dreadlocks. Yeah, he, was, he had uh,
1: like a scar on his face and a oh, gold. Drive drug. me crazy because I can't remember his character's name because I would love him. He's so great. He's like, I know I ain't as pretty as a pair of titties. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking. That's probably my favorite Gary Oldman role ever.
0: Probably yeah. He was he was amazing. Is it man. is
1: it like Drex or something or something like that? Um, Drexel. Drexel. It's Drexel. Yeah, Drexel. There we go. Yeah. So great. He's. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's he's fucking. Yeah. He's man. That's talk about really transforming yourself as an actor. Like Gary yeah. Oldman and in, uh, in True Romance is like fucking, that's something else, dude.
0: He's super funny in that fucking movie. He's so ridiculous. Um, if you haven't seen True Romance, it's worth it just to watch it just for Gary Oldman's scene as the.
1: The as weird the thing pimp. about uh, True Romance, yeah, it was Drexel, yep. I remember watching True Romance when it like first, I was really young when I first saw it. I was probably like six years old. And I remember when I saw it when I was six, I just thought it was like this weird movie that I just like wasn't into at all. And then I rewatched it later on when I was like 12 or 13. And I was like, holy shit, this is a really fucking good movie.
0: I, I came across it on uh, Netflix back when Netflix <laughs> was um, a, a, a mailing service, like before Netflix did streaming. And, uh right. So I was just looking through movies and Netflix was actually really cool for this back in the day. They had a lot of um, not that famous movies. Like you could yeah. find a lot of yeah. movies. They and had a lot of really obscure movies. Yeah, they had a lot of obscure movies. Um, so that, was, that was the thing I really liked about it. And uh, I came across True Romance. I'd never heard of it before, but
1: I knew it had, uh, Tarantino like wrote it. Or, yeah, so here's the like one of his first song. directing. Like, I don't, so, I don't. So, here's the interesting thing about True Romance Tarantino wrote it, yeah. Um, and, and that was funny. that was what
0: I saw is that it was one of his early works, he wrote it, and I was like, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I, so, I Tarantino
1: wrote it, and you could tell that Tarantino wrote it because when you're watching it, um, it plays very much like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, the most interesting thing about it though is it was directed by Tony Scott who is the he was the brother of uh, Ridley Scott and Tony Scott as a director has like a totally different style than Tarantino visually Hmm. Oh, he directed directed Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder Um, so that's like True Romance is an odd movie to watch because when you're watching it it's got this poppy bright kind of visual color palette Mm -hmm. with the dialogue and the violence of a Tarantino movie. Right. And that's like, it's like a perfect mix in that way.
0: It is a, it is a great movie. Um, but it definitely as a person who, who is familiar with Quentin Tarantino movies, it is, it's peculiar to watch. You, You get this, this really like mixed plate when you're, um, you're watching it uh
1: yeah it's it's a it's a super interesting contrast of styles but it ends yeah. up really working i think it works really well because when you watch quentin
0: tarantino movies uh, a lot of the time they can get washed out in in their um in their sort of campiness like they can yeah. they can be overly campy to the point where it's like this this it's like overly theatrical so it seems you know
1: tarantino has become more stylized as he's Mm -hmm. got deeper into his career Mm -hmm. and i would actually kind of argue that that's um i don't know i he's always been really consistent like tarantino has never done a bad movie Mm -hmm. but i would argue that it's kind of diminished the quality of his movies slightly as it's gone along
0: i wasn't crazy about hateful eight
1: yeah, I didn't love that. Um, um, even the movies before that, like I thought Django was good, but yeah. I don't think I. I think I maybe rewatched it once. Mm-hmm. Um, Inglorious Bastards, I really liked Kill Bill, but see, for me, the quality gets better as you go down. Like right. I, I love. I've watched Kill Bill a whole bunch of times. I love Kill both Kill right. Bill. Um even Jackie Brown like that's not that's kind of considered one of his like not as good movies but I love Jackie Brown I've watched Jackie Brown so many times I mm. just I liked the fact that with Jackie Brown he didn't go as big and he made right. it a more grounded story right you know um but yeah. Jackie Brown is definitely one of the ones I've seen fewer times but it,
0: like it really holds up that his most popular ones are his older ones and those are really the I, in my opinion, the best ones, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction.
1: Yeah, those are. Pulp Fiction is like this milestone in pop yeah. culture, where even till this day, there's just there was never anything like Pulp Fiction. I mean, right. until this day, is its own thing. There's... Whenever, whenever something tries to, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, there's nothing. There never has been anything like Pulp Fiction, I don't know if there ever will be because it exists as such a unique piece. You know, enigmatic. Yeah, it, it's just it, its own deal. Even when something tries
0: to replicate replicate that style and and do that over again, it comes off super insincere. And you end up
1: getting like a you know what movie I fucking hated, and a lot of people like it, but I really despised it. Boondock Saints.
0: I liked it when I was a kid and I watched it the first time. I've rewatched it many times since, and or not many times, but I've rewatched it since as an adult, and I'm like. Pfft. It's so dumb, it's hard to right? get through. I feel like yeah. if you're
1: not, I feel like if you're still like, if you, if you still think boondock saints is good, it's like you just never, your maturity level. I mean, that. I oh God, I wish I hadn't even said that because it sounds super pretentious, but I feel like you, you didn't develop beyond a certain point. Yeah. No, I
0: get that. I get what you're saying though. Um, because it was, it's kind of like what we were saying about um, our, our developing palettes for, for, movies like when we're talking about like sin city and stuff it's like (laughs) right um those are those are movies we liked when we were younger because they were more visceral and appealing to our
1: underdeveloped um emotional
0: capabilities
1: they're very Uh, obvious yeah they're They're very obvious there's no like subtext there's no no, you know it's just don't get
0: me wrong i still like sin city i think sin city is a good movie in it yeah sin city is definitely way
1: fucking better than yeah but...
0: but but it's a really good example for that because it, it like it caught our attention when we were younger because it was so fucking violent and intense and visually stunning. Yeah, um, you have to grow up at some point. Yes, if you like, they, I I don't understand. Like, I can't comprehend not changing what interests me. You know, like you, right?
1: Like, you have to grow uh, up and watch a yeah. star is born. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. You just gotta do it. I I'm mean, never gonna
0: watch a Star Is Born. No. <laughs> but that's a thing. Like I, I can I can talk about being uh emotionally matured all I want. Uh but the truth is, um I'd rather watch Boondock Saints a hundred times. Look, I I'd
1: really rather want,
0: I would rather the up. only movie I ever get to watch again is Boondock Saints than watch a Star is born one time. <laughs>
1: you grow up, you go see a Star Is Born, you buy the soundtrack after. You listen to it while you're driving a minivan. That's what you do. Get a family oh full of pugs, All right? Get a family full of pugs.
0: That's what start, you do. start naming them after nuts and yes. uh, start, buy yeah. by a a visually infuriating beanie.
1: And uh, you, you need to. Uh, I was telling your sister the other day. I was like, we need to take that. She was like, she was like, I started cracking up when I saw that clip of you pointing out the. The different nut names for your dogs. Like we need to like isolate that and put it on YouTube. Just as a, I feel like that's just such a funny clip.
0: It was. It was great. It was. It was solid. Uh, because as I'm watching you and your dogs are walking by and you're describing what kind of nut they are, they actually looked like the nuts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. It was, it, that's what's so great about it. It's truly
0: it's accurate. Absolutely disturbing that you have such a deep understanding of nuts and dogs, <laughs> but it doesn't stop you from being right. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now we did talk about some other movies that we wanted to see. Uh, did you ever get around to
1: watching uh, you were never really here? No, not yet. And uh, I'm, I'm going to walk and talk right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> not yet, because I have to take a leak, but I don't want to disturb the podcast. So I'm just sure. gonna literally do that. Um no, I, I haven't you're, watched it. Gonna, you're not watched gonna take a leak on camera, are you? Uh yeah, that's actually right. exactly what I was gonna do. This is
0: this um, is a, this is a beautiful moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna be quiet so Matt can keep the camera on I him while he takes a
1: leak. Do, kind of like better get low here. I don't want anybody to catch any visuals. Um. So yeah, no, I haven't watched it yet. Um, but I really want to watch it. That's like one of those movies that I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. Because as soon as I saw the trailer for it, I was like, "That's like right up my alley." Um. So I'm gonna watch it soon. <laughs> I'm trying to be quiet so that the camera stays. The I was actually trying to continue talking. <laughs> so that way uh, nobody could hear what was happening. Well, the way that the video
0: works is like it automatically uh, looks at the person who's talking. Like whatever whatever microphone's making sound, the camera switches to that.
1: Oh, all right, that's how that works. I was always kind of wondering how you chopped those together.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's automatic. But anyway, uh, you've been pissing long enough. I, I don't think the camera needs to stay on you. So here's my thoughts on uh, You Were Never Really Here. I watched it. Yeah. It was good. Um, it was, it was like not a perfect film in my opinion. It was a, it was a little bit of an art piece. <clears throat> uh, it had, it had uh It's definitely had, what I heard. I heard it was like kind of an art house type. Yeah, well it, it had uh, elements that reminded me a lot of, uh, of Drive and, um, like and uh, only God forgives. Uh, I f- keep forgetting to check if uh, like it's it's not the same director, is it? I don't think it is.
1: No, it's directed by Lynn Ramsey. Okay, well,
0: um, so it really had a lot of the the similar elements in the way that it felt, um, the music on it, um, the the tone of the character, the the personality of the of the the character. Um, there
1: was a lot of taxi driver esque. True. Sure. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, in in a in a critical plot sense, I don't want to say anything without you having seen the movie uh, how it relates to Taxi Driver, but um, it had like the the thing that I, I I understand that this is how it was supposed to be, but it comes to a very like dry, sudden end, mm. like almost a Cohen esque ending, like where there was plot resolution, but it almost seemed like it was like just when the, when the, when the climax hit critical mass and then it just goes like suddenly things are good. We're all set and movie's over. Roll credits. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was done in a way that was supposed to be kind of artful um it's kind of hard to explain I, without giving things away but i want you to watch the movie of course we'll talk about it more when uh when you've seen it i liked it it was good i would have i would have liked to th- them to extend the uh the falling action a little bit more that's all
1: well i will uh have to watch that pronto oh, uh,
0: of course one we talked about before, uh, that I, in you know, in the time since, uh, house that Jack built. Remember that?
1: Yeah. yeah. I see that's one of those movies that I like have gone out of my way not to watch. Yeah. Cause it well, seems like one of those movies, like, you know, like kids you know yes. that movie kids. It's like one of those movies that you just feel gross after you watch it feels like it's one of those yes
0: yes and no it was a movie that attempted to give you that feeling Mm. now uh let me let me put it this way oh Lars von Trier you have once again provided us with a movie that is hard to get through because it's saturated with this attempt at being artistic really it's just a series of like kind of unpleasant visuals, just things you don't really want to see. Uh, and even the things like, the things that would otherwise be kind of exciting and stimulating, like the violence. And uh, it's, it's just done in this gross kind of uh, dirty looking kind of way. So our, our, our protagonist and villain, you know, at the same time, character played by uh, Matt Dillon, it's just wonderful. I love Matt Dillon. It's
1: great. <laughs> you know what my favorite Matt Dillon movie is? No. Uh, There's something about Mary. <laughs> of course. I love uh, him in that movie. He's so funny when he gets his uh, teeth and like <laughs> <laughs> I just love him in that movie. No, he's, he's excellent. And, Have you uh, seen Drugstore Cowboy? Which one? Drugstore Cowboy. No, I haven't. He plays a... Uh, it's directed by Gus Van Sant, the guy who did uh, Good Will Hunting. Mm-hmm. and uh matt dylan and like i can't remember who else is in it but they play these um, it's like takes place in seattle i think and they play these like uh heroin addicted junkies who like rob drugstores mm-hmm. like,
0: have you seen pawn shop
1: chronicles no but that sounds similar without even knowing the plot
0: um it's, it's not uh pawn shop chronicles is really good you'd you would really like this movie. Actually, that would be a really good one to um to review. Uh but I'll save that for another time. Matt Dylan is on it. Uh so is Brendan Fraser and um
1: and uh fucking what's let me, let me take a stab in the dark without having seen it. I know nothing about this movie. I'm gonna guess what year it was made. I'm gonna say ninety. Four. You are way fucking off. Damn it. When was it made? Uh,
0: It was it was one of the last movies that uh, before he died. um, Paul, what's his name? Paul um, from Fast and the Furious. Oh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker. It was one of Paul Walker's last movies. Really? This was recent. Yeah. I don't know if it was one of his. I think it was one of his last movies. It was like one of the last things he was in. And he, uh, I think he, he was like a producer in it or a director. It's probably like, I think it was his best performance. He plays a meth head on it and it's awesome.
1: 2013.
0: I just yeah. pulled up this, this was straight to DVD, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Really good movie. You should check it out. We'll talk about it another time. Let me get back to uh house of Jack built. Yeah. So, um, Matt Dillon is, uh, he's, he's the serial killer. Obviously it's the point of the movie. We already know that yeah. he's, uh, he's OCD. So he's like murdering people, and he's describing like once again to, to oversaturate things with meaning. Um, that is without without uh without it being produced on its own. Uh, he's talking to he's he's narrating the movie sort of mm-hmm. while it's showing him murder people. Now there's no there's no connective tissue between the murders there's no there's no storyline going on aside from it's showing he he's a he's a failed architect who's attempting to build a house for himself somewhere and it just keeps going back to that and then it's a scene of him murdering someone then it goes back to him working on this house and then tearing it down or rebuilding it so it's it's uh displaying this this sense of inconsistency this uh inability to follow through um but the only the only thing that he's built his life around is the fact that he murders people but he keeps talking to this guy uh you don't know who the guy is you can't see him all you all you see is all you the only sense of it that you're getting is that he's narrating the movie by talking to this guy and he's describing how all of his murders are arts they're Mm -hmm. pieces of art and yeah, it's pretty twisted, but it also it doesn't it, no, nothing strikes you as realistic or meaningful in it. It's it's just kind of like, you know, it, it's it's overly manufactured meaning, overly manufactured art. And uh, the only time the movie, in my opinion, becomes artful in any way is towards the very 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 end, when um, they make this connection that to uh, Dante's Inferno. So the guy that he's speaking to. Is, uh, is a variation of the character Virgil. Mm-hmm. And Virgil is taking him on a journey to hell, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's what, um, that's what the movie is. And the, the, house, that he, the house that Jack builds is, uh, while well, the police are coming in to kill him, he builds a house out of all the bodies that he, he murdered. So the, the death, the carnage that he, he wrought was the house that Jack built.
1: You know, I've never been like a huge fan of Lars von Trier because to me, he's almost like a, um, he's like a walking talking parody in a lot of ways because okay. he's kind of like that guy who it's like, he's shocking. It's He's shocked at this point. He's, he's so predictable in a lot of ways. At this point, it would be more shocking for him to make a romantic comedy than it would to be, to keep doing what he's doing. right? Well, that's every time he kind of just picks something super taboo, which is like admirable in some ways. Um, but then again, it also kind of takes to me, there's, a, it almost kind of takes away a little bit of the sincerity of it. Well, that's then, exactly
0: like, what my problem is with anything. As yeah. one sure does, there is no sincerity to it. Yeah. It's because this, it's, it's this. almost like he
1: has a list of things that people don't like that are taboo. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'll do this one. Now I'll do this one. Right. And, and it's, it's like, are you do you really even have a genuine interest uh, or in of any in any of these things right. or only picking them based on that? Well, it
0: seems to me like a guy who's trying really hard to be an artist. Like he's like that's what it all that's what all the shots, all the all the all the writing, the right. monologuing, it all sounds like this stuff that is Then it
1: comes up. You know what he, this is this is actually a cool uh, comparison thing. That's what I loved so much about Mandy. Yeah. Is the fact that Mandy was so authentic and so original. Right. That you got it was like an anti-that. Right. They didn't give you any they didn't overdo the dialogue and give you trying to give you deep meaning. They mm-hmm. just gave you this like stunning visually visually stunning undeniable piece of art mm-hmm. as opposed right. to Really, reaching for it, and like trying their hardest exactly. something deep, you know? it was very natural, it just came out, yeah, just, like you felt like that guy who made that movie it just took all the things that he was interested in and just threw them. like he was really into fucking eighties horror and <laughs> camp and violent movies, and he was also really into um that's what like I was saying, there's a lot of like that eighties like heavy metal influence in there, right. He just it's like a hodgepodge of everything this guy is into just straight from his brain.
0: Yeah, that was a that was a beautiful movie. It came out very naturally and um, that that really to me is what's what's indicative of what's actually art. And you're really reaching and trying to make it artistic when you know, which is what I see from Lars von Trier. then it comes off flat. People can the people have a sense for that. Go, oh that's why nobody ever watches those movies, except yeah. for really pretentious people who are looking for something to be like,
1: oh, you just wouldn't get it. That's <laughs> you basically get two outcomes. You get like pretentious people who are like you wouldn't get it, or you get the complete opposite, people who are like, Yeah, this is gross. I don't like this. Yeah. But there's not much middle ground there. Right. I feel like
0: yeah, exactly. And you know, like I, I don't, I'm not squeamish when it comes to, to movies when it kind like, you know, horror movies and gore and violence and stuff. So that didn't really bother me. I didn't find it like repulsive. I just found it kind of annoying. I found it just kind of um, full of itself. And uh, that's what I didn't like about it. Matt, mm. Dylan, you can do better. Dylan, you can always do better. It should be there's something about Mary... Too. just all matt Dillon.
1: just a spinoff with that character <laughs> oh yeah just a yeah what's that i said i would it's love that. yeah that would be great
0: <clears throat> all right let's see where we at here any other movies uh tv shows things you want to talk about you know i've
1: actually been as of late i went on a hot streak there for the month of december
0: mm-hmm.
1: my schedule kind of slowed down a little bit and i just went and Hogwild wild and saw like everything okay um saw it since, all yeah but since the beginning of the new year no i i really haven't i can't even think of anything new that i've seen lately uh not check out the uh the new season of the punisher no and you know what i actually i watched one episode from the last season and i wasn't really into it really yeah i just you thought know. it was uh i don't know i guess i'm just not a huge fan of that character that much uh, I think he was
0: good. It gets better as the season goes on. Um, yeah, but I liked him. I liked him more in uh, in the Daredevil season. Like I think he was like right. the best part of that season of Daredevil. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, he was good in that season. Right. Yeah.
0: But he was better in that than he was in his own show.
1: I just don't think that that character works as well when you base everything on it. Like I right. think. Punisher generally works better as like an accessory character it's Punisher is like a lot of the times he could be
0: your favorite character as a side character like he's this he's this hardcore dark horse in the background that just like shows up when he wants or when he's needed and essentially rescues these characters who have superpowers while doing shit that nobody approves of, like just horribly right. murdering all these people. It's it, it can be tough to to sit through a whole thing about the Punisher. Mm-hmm. My problem with the the Netflix Punisher series overall is that they they humanize him way too much. Like they they make him very uh compassionate towards others and very feeling and the whole thing about the Punisher, the reason why he's hard to follow as a as a as a main character is because he's basically a sociopath. Doesn't really have like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have a filter for like he just fucking murders and tortures and shit like brutally, <clears throat> and it's hard to it's hard to get connected to a character like that.
1: Yeah, I think that was kind of my issue is like. Yeah, they, um, I don't know. He's just always been kind of a hard character for me to get into. Um, I was trying to think there was, I feel like there was something else new that I watched on Netflix. Oh, I watched the, um, not on Netflix. I started watching the uh, Fire Festival documentary on Netflix. Oh, I heard about that. Uh, It wasn't very good. So I stopped watching that one, but I heard the Hulu one was really good. The Hulu one is ten times better. I watched the Hulu one. And 20 it, uh, fire, um, fire fraud is that it? Yeah, like the Hulu one is it's incredible because they have the actual guy who committed the fraud mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing, and they're asking him questions, and
0: <laughs> they got all those all those people who spent all
1: the money just trapped in tents eating cheese he, sandwiches. He's basically, <laughs> just like a massive pathological liar, like uh, ev- literally everything. He's a, just a scam artist like everything that comes out of this guy's mouth is a lie basically um i would highly recommend it it's really it's just funny it's like yeah. really funny okay. how uh, stupid not stupid but it makes you realize how suggestive this generation is and uh you know they they literally they're just everybody is into hype mm-hmm. like people just as soon as something gets hyped up it's like it's yeah it just becomes like becomes a part of everything and everybody wants to be a part of it and they just this it's it's the documentary is interesting because it goes a lot deeper into like how easy it is for them to do that nowadays like literally all they need is one of these people who have a massive social media following and then they feed them one thing to post and then everybody's into it right like never been easier to influence massive amounts of people that's a that's a funny thing like
0: we were just talking about that in uh my my uh psychology class we're talking about the stanford prison experiment and how um oh yeah we heard like, that in mind too yeah we were just talking about fucking um people's suggestibility is uh social psychology how uh contagious thoughts are right and situations and seems like social media has given this this enormous It's it's this gigantic conduit that connects to everybody. So social psychology is like is so um, it's so powerful now. Yeah, because of uh, because of the interconnectivity that everyone has access to everyone. And if you could start an idea, you change the way everybody in the world fucking thinks.
1: Well, have you ever heard of like the idea of like morphic resonance? No, Um, I think I don't want to. I might be lie. I might be phrasing this wrong, but basically, like the idea of more, more it's like kind of like when, uh, uh, it's like the a system. It's the idea that a system of things has a collective memory. So it's almost like when you have people didn't think that uh, the uh, four minute mile was possible, and then somebody did it, and then within a year you know, hundreds of people had done a four minute mile. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in a extreme athlete sport where they I, didn't think the, uh, Tony, like when Tony Hawk did the fucking the 360 flip or whatever the hell it was or right. the 900, that was like impossible. Yeah. It was the 900. Now you can't even be a pro if you can't do a 900. Yeah, Like it's that idea that there's a collective memory ingrained into everybody. And that's, that's, what's so interesting about that to me is the fact that, um, you know, it's like, It's like once you let one idea out or one thing and put it out there into the atmosphere, Mm -hmm. it kind of changes things permanently. See, I, I,
0: I, I recognize that as a, as a thing. I didn't know there, I didn't know the word for it or, you know, the, the phrase that described
1: it, but I always noticed that following fighting my whole life. Oh yeah. Watch the original ones. Front kick to the face. Yeah. The most classic example. And then within, like, five years, you saw, like, five more of them pop up. Yeah. Never seen someone do that before. And all of a sudden, you know. But it
0: was, like, yeah, just watching fighting, you'd see the early UFC. These were guys who had been doing martial arts and training to fight and doing fights their whole lives on a lower scale. And then once somebody started cross-training, within a year, cross-training was, like, the only way to fucking do it. You got guys who have skills in all different areas and, like, you just see the the evolution of uh, the evolution of cultures everything seems to follow the people the next generation always builds higher off the backs of the previous even though it doesn't seem like they're putting in more work they're just they're following off of what was learned before them but I guess that makes sense that a collective I just, memory. I just like the word "morphic, morphic resonance."
1: resonance. It, it sounds like very uh, sci-fi. Like, yeah, sounds sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the title of like a Philip K. Dick novel. Sounds like um,
0: sounds like like something on a scene in Alien, where they're flying the ship, but like our morphic resonance yeah. going off the tri- Morphic <laughs> resonance
1: transponder. Yeah. yeah, that is what it sounds like.
0: Yeah. Very exciting.
1: <clears throat> All right. Well, I, uh, I'm going to have to take off to work pretty soon here.
0: Yeah. I got, I got to start getting ready for work here soon. So, um, <clears throat> let's talk about some stuff we're going to do soon. Yes. Let's talk about, um, let's, let's get you watching, uh, pawn shop chronicles
1: <laughs> work there.
0: Yes. I will, uh, watch you were you never will really here. watch pawn shop chronicles. All right. Let's get uh, You Were Never Really Here. So we can talk about that more in depth. Yeah, that one I'll do pronto. All right, we're going to watch Tiptoes again.
1: Both Um, of us.
0: I hope to never see Tiptoes again. We're going to watch House of Jack Built three times. No, I'm definitely – I refuse. I'm not watching that. We're going to have several several days that we do just Lars von
1: Trier movies
0: over and over again. Like (laughs) –
1: did you know that you know that scene? Have you ever seen that movie he did? It was called like Antichrist? Yeah. You know the scene where Willem Dafoe and the girl are having sex in the movie? It's not like the whole the movie.
0: Baby, like jumps
1: out. <laughs> Well, there's like a scene yeah. where they're having sex and the baby jumps out of the window or some shit right. like that. Yeah. The rumor on the streets is they actually had Threw sex. a baby out a window? Yeah. <laughs> no, the rumor on the streets is they actually had sex during that scene because so I think you could actually see like penetration in that scene it's pretty it's so gross Willem Dafoe like, is a really watch.
0: gross man you gotta do that just go watch a porn of course that's a Lars von Trier thing he's like I'm gonna find the ugliest man that I can and force people to watch him have sex
1: I think and that's I unfair art. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking I'm about sorry. the Green Goblin here I'm man. sorry Willem I
0: love Willem Dafoe he's amazing huge Willem Dafoe fan
1: i do too yeah but i don't want to see him have sex
0: i don't want to see him have sex either all right so all right. pawn shop chronicles you were never really here some other stuff we've been meaning to watch um uh, my brother my brother was telling me about because we were talking about um we were talking about uh john c Riley, and we were talking about joaquin phoenix in the same sense. my brother brought up uh the sisters brothers
1: oh yeah i that's that's actually been on my watch list. Yeah while i've heard that was really good yeah so we got to talk about that one um
0: anything else come out recently that we got to talk about
1: uh i know there's other stuff that i have in my mind but my mind okay well
0: anything else we come up with just stay in contact um but i think that about covers it guys that's two in one day
1: you believe it can't believe it. We did the we did the impossible. the impossible. We should be proud of ourselves. We
0: should be. But I just can't help wanting to just lay one right into your face. And I look at that goddamn beanie. It makes me sick. I'm getting fucking nauseous, right? Like, anyway, forget the beanie. I'm, I'm I'm putting it out of my mind. Uh so <clears throat> This is fun, guys. Uh give us a like, follow, share. Back and bone show. Namaste.
1: Namaste. No yoga.